So, you got me to watch a film called Android, which I've been sort of aware of. I thought I might have seen it as part of a double bill during my misspent youth, but I hadn't. It was entirely new to me. Um, And I I think that we have to sort of say something up front, which is that to talk about this film properly, I need to talk about the plot, which is going to involve spoilers. So we we will have a sort of an initial discussion in which we have no spoilers, but then at a certain point, we're just going to have to say, from this point on, you need to have seen the film or have decided you're not going to see it, because we'll be spoiling it for you by revealing too many details of the story. Yes. Okay, so um, I don't think this is a spoiler. I really liked the cover art with this bald guy, and I was wondering when he was going to turn up, <laughs> because it's not obvious. I thought, well, who's, who's the bald guy? Because he's very striking. At some point, I should send you the Czechoslovakian poster for it, which will have you even more perplexed because it's got Max with the trilby on and he's like looking up into the sky and it looks like some bizarre 40s propaganda film. Yeah. Um, it's not the film you're going to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, we do. Uh, d- 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 this, the following comment you should really edit out, but you'll probably leave it in to embarrass me. Um, there's a sequence uh, later in the film where is it Brie somebody? Brie Howard. She plays Cassandra. No. No. Cassandra, no, something Kirchner plays. Uh, that's that's right. That's who I'm talking about. Cassandra, she, the uh, who plays the blonde. Kendra Kirchner. Kendra Kirchner, great name, plays the blonde android, and there's a bit where um, she reveals a little bit of breast. Yes. And it was. I thought, wow, this is really quite sexy, quite exciting. And afterwards, I thought, well, you know, I've got full-on pornography that I can watch, and I've stuck that on it. <laughs> It was really disappointing. It just wasn't... I mean, everything was there, but it just wasn't as exciting as this little flash of bracelet. It's shot quite well, I think. It's, it's clinical. It's, you know, this is a machine being made. It's no different to a car without paint on it. It's well, just but no, Klaus he's, Kinski he's, being a pervert, which is <laughs> <laughs> what he does best. Well, I'm not sure we should include my point comment. But anyway, so Android. Uh, the, the first thing that struck me was that it's very dated that it looks very cheap. Uh, and I had that sort of Doctor Who thing where I'm, I'm very sensitive to bad special effects or rubbish sets and all that. But I simultaneously had the Doctor Who thing where it's quite a good story. And you just sort of think, well, I have to detach myself from the fact that it, it's that it's the production values aren't very good. However, I did change my mind about that. Early on, there's a scene where the set on a space station where the rooms in the space station are just flooded with light and they just look like the cheapest of sets. But later on, they're much more sympathetically lit and it looks really quite good, I think. There is a... Unfortunately, because we're not talking spoilers early on, there's yep. a very good reason why the whole Starbase is designed the way it is and why things function the way they do. Oh, well, you may have to explain that to me later on because I do have some questions about the film. Because hmm. I... Uh, 
like I know what happened, but I sort of don't know why it happened. But basically, the story of the film is about this Max. Well, start with the beginning. It's got a very arresting title sequence, which is the stop motion animation of these two little maquettes or mechanical dolls, faceless mechanical dolls. And it's really quite touching and well well done, I thought. It is, but it's completely out of keeping with the rest of the film. It's a very strange opening title. It's got nothing to do with the film, but it does grab you. Oh, absolutely. And then you're... In, in... More so than a space battle would have done. Although we do get that later on. We do, but by that time you're in. <laughs> yeah, and it's not a great space battle. But no, so there's this very interesting, sort of almost a prologue in, in the form of these trains little dolls who do crop up later on, but they don't have any story purpose at all. And then we're straight in with Max, who we know is an android. Do we? Pretty, yeah, almost, uh, yeah. I don't think we're meant to know that early on. Well, we certainly know by the time the the spaceship lands that he is, don't we? The first inkling we get is when he picks the tray up off the floor and it's magnetised and it slides towards him. That's the first indication you've got that he is an android. Yeah, but no, I think, I would argue that we know that from the very beginning because he, he doesn't know anything about how human beings reproduce, for instance, and he's watching all this stuff. I think he's just meant to be a nerdy scientist um, companion to Klaus Kinski. Well, I I knew he was an android from the off, but then it's called Android. Yes, and <laughs> he's on the film poster, but I think a lot of that is giving away. Also, I think the opening title is describing him as Max 404, played by himself, which, yeah, yeah that doesn't help yeah, either. Yeah. So but I don't think it's meant to be that implicit. Do you think that there was a draft of the script where that, that we thought it was being held back? Possibly, but also it's kind of strange because as the film rolls on... Um, Maggie doesn't seem to cotton on that he's an android, and yet there's one point where you think, well, she must clearly know now, and she still hasn't worked it out. Well, yeah, I, I, I did think that, because like, she starts snogging him, and I thought at the point of snogging that she, she knew that he was an android. Yeah, so did I. That's not the case, because um, then she seems a bit confused later. Yeah, when she has lunch with Klaus Kinski before the snogging scene, doesn't he tell her that, that, that he's an android? He says they're working on an android. Oh, he says that Max will be retired soon. And replaced. Um, yeah, but at that point, we're not. It's supposed to be not obvious to Maggie that retired and replaced has the sinister meaning that it does. Yeah. So anyway, this this move about a space station with Max the android <laughs> and the sinister professor who's running the android. He's played by Klaus Kinski, and uh, so at first I thought, oh, this is you know, it was very dated. The effects were very bad, but the story is actually pretty good because what happens is they get a distress call from this passing spaceship. And the passing spaceship uh, is a ship carrying these convicts who have uh, escaped, uh, got free and hijacked the ship, killed the guards. And when they land on the space station, they're passing themselves off as the guards. It's a strange film in that every single character is pretending to be someone else. Yeah, which which we will... With the exception of Cassandra. Which we will... Yeah, I suppose that's a bit of a spoiler too. Uh, so that it, at that point, it starts to become quite a gripping little story. And also I began to notice some things. Uh, you see, I, from the off, I didn't like the guy who's playing Max, but he's supposed to be playing a fairly unlikable nerd. So it's not really a case of him not doing a good job. I just didn't like the character that he was portraying, I would say. See, I've always found him really likable. <laughs> it's what I liked about the film when I first saw it, but I first saw it when I was about seven or eight years old oh wow it was really early on and i've watched it repeatedly since i mean i've I've seen that film a lot of times and i always like max it's a pretty pretty grown-up film for a little seven-year-old to see exactly it's quite harrowing when he goes bad later oh that's that's yeah that's a terrific scene so what happens is these three convicts land one of them is a woman 
called Maggie, is that the character's yes. name? Played by? Brie Howard. Right, and you told me that she wasn't a professional actress, at least at that point she was in a band, I think. Yeah, Erin Lipstadt, I think it was, saw her in a band and really took a shine to her and they're having trouble casting it and decided to go with her and I think it was the right choice. I thought she was very effective yeah. and very good. But of all the acting on display, I thought the best actor was the guy who played Gunther. Have I got the name yes. right? <laughs> and he's turned up in a lot. I think I've got a feeling he's in Bullet for the General. Which I is another sort of cult favourite of yours, yeah? Well, it's, um, it's a spaghetti western. I oh, yeah. can't for the life of me think who did it. And um, I'm almost certain he's in that. And he's in a lot of Italian films around that time, even though he's German actor. Oh, he's German, is he? Yeah. So his name reflected his, his, his derivation. I think they were taking a, a punt on the, the idea that there might still be an accent traceable. There wasn't to me. I thought he, he was American, British or something like that. I think he's a really good actor. He was very natural, very understated, and I always believed him. Yeah. Not that I, I didn't think anybody in this was bad or risible, but he was far and away the most interesting actor, I thought. What very you, natural. What did you think of Kinski? I, I've always liked Kinski because he has tremendous screen presence, and he's supposed to be playing a kind of uh, flamboyant, larger-than-life figure. And, and then there's this weird bit later on in the film where they start showing footage from Metropolis with <laughs> Dr. Rotwang, right? Yes, and I, I think he's meant to look like Rotwang. He is. Yeah. He's like his hair's done up like Rotwang, yeah. and I thought, well, that's, but that's a really strange kind of... <laughs> what, what are they getting at with that reference? It just seemed odd. See, that's where I discovered Metropolis was from this film. Wow. Because I went looking for what that was, and the only version I could ever find was the George Amaroda one. Mm. So for a long Makes time, sense. even now when I watch Metropolis, I still hear those Maroda songs. Poor you. But no, but it, it's good that they did the Moroda version because it introduced people to a film they wouldn't have known about otherwise. Which Android's done with Metropolis. I mean, I wouldn't have heard of it. That's a very good point. I mean, Metropolis, I would say, is probably a towering masterpiece of cinema. Android oh, yeah. isn't. But it's an interesting cult movie. But it's free to put clips in, so kind of helps. It's out of copyright, in other words. Public domain yeah. now. Yeah. And just to sort of follow along that line... It's not just Metropolis, although there's this very heavy-handed drawing of parallels with Metropolis. And as we say, Kinski is very deliberately supposed to look like Rotwang. I mean, there's no, there's no accident about it. And I, I wonder if there's some kind of plot point about that. But anyway, uh, our hero Max is also watching a bunch of other period movies, including a Jimmy Stewart movie. And then he, he gets, in the most improbable of sequences, he finds this box of old clothes which has got like a fedora in it. If that's the kind that Max's might not, dressing up box. I'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that might not be the, the right name for that kind of hat, but you know the kind of hat I mean yeah. that men used to wear, that my dad used to wear in the early 60s. Uh, that, that was really the last gasp for those kind of hats. But between about the 30s and the 60s, people wore those, men wore those hats. But that sequence where he's watching the film and dressing up and sort of looking at himself in the mirror, it's it really has a strong pre-echo of that Ridley Scott alien sequel I won't, no, no one's watched that no uh, no and you shouldn't because it's really I I really think it's a really bad film but it's the one which has Fassbender in it as an android and Fassbender is watching Lawrence of Arabia and he's in he's in a spaceship watching Lawrence of Arabia and he's imitating Peter O'Toole and Lawrence of Arabia and it looks to me like it's a direct lineage with this film Ridley Scott has a connection with android Tell um, me, tell me well, more. I'm trying to remember what it is. That's okay. the problem. Well, while you're trying I think to remember, it's via Aaron Lipstadt. Well, while you're trying to remember, I want to know, and I'm sure I know the answer to this. But the design consultant Jim Cameron in yes. the end credits is our friend James Cameron, right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, sort of at this point, so Android is an interesting science fiction thriller with some really good ideas, very low budget, 
some interesting acting, uh, and um, a dark sense of humour, I would say. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a fun film. It and, is and I realise, given what happens at the end, it's not that much fun, but I think, generally speaking, it's quite playful, especially when you get to that end sequence and everyone leaves. Yeah, uh, it is, it's not, for, considering how low the budget was, it's very well carried off with a great deal of imagination. I know it's knocking how cheap and cheap looking it is, but it, as it goes along, it actually makes incredibly resourceful use of its very limited resources. And, and of course, they go off to the tune of Django Reinhardt as well. I saw Django's name at the end, and there's a great bit about It's a Man's World. There's a, the James Brown song It's a Man's mm. World, which is used in there, which I'm amazed they got the money to license that. I wonder if they did. Yeah. Unless James Brown really liked this movie and let him have it for $10, it just seems extraordinary. Okay, so we've sort of described what this film is for people who don't know anything about it. I now, I knew nothing about it except that I'd seen the poster before when you when you lent it to me. Can you tell me a bit about how this movie came about and who made it? For instance, you told me that the guy who plays Max also wrote the screenplay, which yeah. I had no idea. Don Opper, uh, known as Don Keith Opper. Okay. And he went on to do quite a few other films. He was responsible for Critters. Um, oh, yeah. And I can't think of the name of the film. He he wrote, and I think Lipstack directed as well, and I'm pretty sure it's got free in the title, and it's got it's Catherine not... Mary Stewart guarding water in a post-apocalypse landscape. But beyond that, I don't my know. brain has gone to It's mush. not Road Warriors, one of those kind mm, of... It's along those lines, but it's... Yeah. Yeah. It's a cut above it. Yeah, it's Free City or something like that. Critters was part of this wave of post-Gremlin rip-offs, wasn't it? Well, it was it was straight-to-video cheese, yeah. which is what Android was pretty much made as. I yeah. mean, it was at the very early days of um, home video, so I don't think it was made with home video in mind, but because it was 80... And I noticed that New World Pictures has got its uh, imprimatur all over it, but I, d I think it's one of those things where New World Pictures picked it up. It may have come via um, Rachel Talali. Who is who? Uh, well, she was around then. She would have just started with New World, uh, who did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. And she was production associate in the first one, and then she went on to, long enough to direct the last one. She was heavily involved with them for a while, and then went on to do things like Tank Girl. Ah, right. And then ultimately doing Doctor Who these days, I believe. Oh, is she? Fantastic. Yeah, so she's, she's still working. But she was um, an extra in the beginning of that, so I'm guessing that her... She, an extra New in the beginning World. of what? Android. Really? Yeah. So I'm. Uh, How could she have been an extra? Because there's not much of a cast in this. You know all the troops that come in at the end? Oh, she's one of them. She's one of those. Right. She's the only female one. So she's the connection. I think, yeah, with New World Pictures, I think that's maybe where that comes in. Because uh, yeah. New World became New Line, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. And um, yeah. so you think that she might have known people in both camps? And yeah, that's what I think that's that maybe. Yeah. yeah, she's clearly involved there. So I think also they backed a lot of surprising films back then. Yeah, bear in mind that this is the early days of the home video market, so if you've made a film and shot it, which they did with their own money, yeah. all you've got to do is find the distributor, and it's a very saleable film. I don't think it bothered the box office, but it's done its business on home video. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned a bunch of stuff about what, what Aaron Lipstad and Kiefer, was that the guy's name? Don Opper. Don Opper. Don Keith. Don Keith Opera, I'm sorry. What what opera and <laughs> Sounds like an Italian Don. Yeah, what you guys what they what they went on to do, you talked about. Where did they come from and how did this film come about? I have absolutely no clue because I've never <laughs> seen them interviewed about it and I was yeah. trying to get hold of Don Opera recently to talk to him about it. And I'd also gone to Aaron Lipstadt's site to try and talk to him about it as well. Just Yeah. I don't know what the plan was. I was maybe gonna offer something to SFX or something, but mm. I wanted to do an article about the film. Yeah. Um but 
it's difficult to get hold of people at the moment. Well, you'd, you'd think it'd be the opposite, don't you? You would, but the trouble is you always have to go through an agent, and agents are the most cowardly people in the world, so they'll be, you know, uh, in no, a cell underground. No, no, I understand that. In if their it, escape room. You have to, have to go through agents. It would be very difficult. So the these guys didn't have... We don't know if they had a track record before they made no, the No, this film. was their first film, both of them. That's interesting. Did, I think Don Hopper did the music as well. Did Don Hopper go on to act in other things as well? Yes. Anything notable? No. Right. Not that I've ever noticed. So, I have tried to track down all the stuff they've done. It's not easy. So Klaus Kinski's... We mentioned briefly the, the uh, German actor... Yes. ...called... Oh, Gold. The guy who played Gunther. So he, he had quite a track record in, in Italian westerns and things, you said. Yeah, I've definitely seen him in other things, but I can't for the life of me think what his name is. No, but, but the big fish in this movie is Klaus Kinski. Yeah, and weirdly they don't put him on the poster. Um, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, his name's on it, but his face isn't, right? He also very clearly only did two days on the film. So you can see that they shot all of his stuff in one hit. Yeah, I, well, it, it's, not a long, it's not a long film, is it? But among that includes effects shots, which he would have had to have hung around for and be quite patient for. And right, I, I think we have to draw a line here and start talking about spoilers. I think we do. From this point on, it's spoiler city. So that was the thing about this movie, is it... It pulled the wool over my eyes very effectively. I knew from the very first scene that Max was an android, just because he's trying to learn about things that every human being would already know. Yeah. So I think that even if the film hadn't been called Android and I hadn't seen the poster, I would have worked that out pretty damn quickly. Uh, and you said there are uh, there's other other things uh, like I think is on it, the door of his quarters it says something like Max 4A or something like that. Yeah, I think something's crossed out and it says yeah. Max. But unfortunately the DVD is such low quality. I That's right. Remember. I went back to try and see that and I could <laughs> We've both done it. Yeah. But so anyway, to me it was completely obvious that Max was an android from the off and I think it was supposed to be. However, there are a bunch of other stuff completely fooled me. Well, you know, when um, Maggie has dinner with Dr. Daniel, he doesn't eat. I, you see, that it's all it's all very well set up. Yeah, and also that's why the food machines don't work because there's no the nobody base, eats. No, the base isn't designed. Okay, for so people. what we're getting to, folks, is that we got this android being bullied, pushed around, and in, have his, having his life threatened by the uh, the scientist who presumably created him. Yeah, played by Klaus Kinski, who's called Doctor Doctor Daniel. Doctor Daniel, right? And uh, in fact, you overhear that. I think Max over here is that, that Dr. Daniel plans to kill him, to, to switch him off, basically. Yeah. But the, the, here's the thing. Dr. Daniel turns out to be an android, and that was a great reveal. It was re really good. <laughs> Such a great reveal that my laptop fell off its laptop table. I mean, and there's, there's, I mean, that's not the only... It's a really good, well-orchestrated surprise, but it's not the only surprise. Um, it's beautifully set up that one of the convicts is having an affair with a female convict, Maggie. I, oh, sorry. One of the convicts is having an affair with a female convict, Maggie. I think it's the convict is called Mendez. Yes. Right. And he's obviously the bad guy. I mean, they're all murderous convicts who've killed their guards. But Maggie's quite sympathetic, Gunther's quite sympathetic, but Mendez is just an evil, bullying shit. And there's a sequence where you discover that he's murdered Maggie, and the movie really takes a dark turn at that point, and uh, Gunther makes a very ineffectual attempt to yeah. to uh, to avenge Maggie, Yeah. and Max eventually avenges Maggie. But it becomes clear, I mean, the twist is, 
Mendes did not kill Maggie. No. In fact, Daniels killed Maggie. And what's more, it's beautifully set up because there's a bit when after he, we, we think that he's murdered Maggie, he's, Mendes is locked, there's an airlock comes down and seals him into part of the space station. At that point, he shouts Maggie. And at the point, and I was sort of from this point on, you kind of think, why did he shout Maggie? Is he, is he sort of like, um, is he beginning to regret having killed her? But he thinks Maggie's still alive because he yeah. didn't kill her, and it's a beautifully set up little clue. And I just thought this is a well written script. And there's also the bit as well where Klaus Kinski can't find his pen torch or whatever it is. Well, that's that's how we know that it was Klaus Kinski killed Maggie because yeah. when uh, Max tenderly picks up, because Max was falling in love with Maggie. He tenderly picks up her dead body, and there's the flashlight, Dr. Daniel's flashlight, under her dead body. Now, these are great, really effective plot twists and surprises. I really like them a great deal. But do they make any sense? Like, why did Dr. Daniels kill Maggie? I think he was jealous. But it doesn't make a lot of sense, because he needed her. Oh, she'd already served her purpose. She'd activated Cassandra. That's the only bit of the plot I don't like, is this idea that you have to have human contact in order to activate these androids. And and what happens is uh, they don't have human contact. What happens is Maggie kisses Max and he's standing beside the uh, the operating table on which Cassandra, the inanimate android, is lying. And then the spark leaps off him into Cassandra. That's I know this all sounds terribly weird, but this is what happens in the film, right? <laughs> That's a fair comp. So what you're about to say, I think, is that he no longer, Dr. Daniels no longer needed Maggie. No. It's so, the idea of clearing house and getting everyone out. They've served their purpose now. You don't need them there. They're just using up food, energy, everything else. Plus, he's got these people coming anyway because they've already been called because they're coming to shut the place down. Right. So, yeah, they're going to ask questions. So you want to get rid of those bodies as soon as possible. Okay, but what, why is Dr. Daniels an android and what is he up to? I mean, does, is there... That's any... for the sequel to decide. Which, I mean, I would love to see a sequel to that film. I mean, they, it's a very inventive film full of clever surprises, but I don't think, I think as soon as you begin to ask what's beyond those clever surprises, I don't think there is anything there, is there? No, I don't think it needs it, though. I think it's enjoyable enough, 82 minutes or however I know, I liked it. I ended up liking it a great deal. And we were talking about, I, there's one sequence in particular which is really badly lit, and you can see what a shitty, cheap set it is. But... <laughs> I think that's just when the convicts first land on the space station and Max is showing them around. From that point on, it is very well lit. It's sympathetically lit and low light. And there's this very good scenes where Max is sitting in this black room, completely dark room, full of these giant computers, which are obviously just flat panels of lights. But it's a really good piece of design. I mean, maybe this is some of the stuff that James Cameron did. Because <laughs> so, Cameron's a very good designer. But you were saying that within that, design ethos there are clues to what's really going on yeah the whole station is set up for it's just not fit for human use <laughs> uh, except for max's bizarre dressing up box which i mean that's a film in itself <laughs> there's no explanation for that so, so what you're saying is that some of the anomalies are explained by the fact that everybody there is an android yeah i mean why is max living in a cupboard when everyone else when there's these lovely lush crew quarters everywhere with beds and sofas well, no, that makes sense because Mac, we know that Max is an android. Yeah, but you were asking about the aesthetic of the station. Yeah. So why is Max living in a cupboard? Why doesn't he live in one of the crew quarters if he was well, so keen to be human? Since there are no crew, it, yeah. And why are, the, why are those crew quarters there? Uh, there is a very good scene after 
we discover that Dr. Daniels is an android. He has his head ripped off his body. And there's a well-executed uh, scene in which they're holding his head up. And, and what, it, what it obviously is, is there's a black cloth there. And mm. Klaus Kinski stuck his head through the cloth. And um, the name of the actress who plays Cassandra is... Kendra. Yeah, is holding his hair as though she's... It's, uh, it's the you know the head of John the Baptist <laughs> sort of thing. I think it works really well. Yeah, no, I was, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, she's holding it like Salome is what I was going to say. But yes, it's really well done. It looks really great. And of course, his head's still moving. So you were talking about him having to do all these effects shots within the, the two and a half days he was there or whatever it was. It's, it's nicely done. I like it. We know it. how long that would have taken to do. Because of Doctor Who and things like that. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you, they're still basically working to the same schedule. Klaus Kinski would have been expensive by the day, so you mm. wanted there as little as possible. And this was from a period of time where he was doing, you know, these little three-minute appearances in loads of films. Mm. Um, we know he's difficult to work with. Although they've said... I have seen an interview with um, Don Opper where he said that Klaus Kinski was great to work with and really enthusiastic about it. He doesn't look enthusiastic in the film. <laughs> But then he didn't, he's never had an enthusiastic face, so he's hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, and sure, I've just realised, I think he's in Bullet for the General. It's everybody. You just, that's oh, just your, that's I your, have to look up Bullet for the General. That's your, you're just claiming that everybody's in that movie. But Maybe that was the link. Maybe if they got the other guy in, they said, have a word with Klaus, see if he'll do it. Yeah, or the other way around, Klaus said, oh, can you get my friend in this film? That's less likely. Uh, <laughs> but it's obvious we're going to have to see Bullet for the General. So... <laughs> This is it's a good tight little pulp science fiction movie with some genuine surprises. Uh, why do you love it so? I think it's a nice character piece. It doesn't depend on its special effects. And I think if you if special effects are what you want, there are better films out there. And there's some things they can't help. Yeah, you know, they've got to have ships flying and there's only so many ways of doing that in nineteen eighty two. Yeah. And when you're on a film budget that means doing it on film, you haven't got the advantage of doing it on video, which would be awful anyway. But yeah. You're limited for your options and you know you've got a big budget, so what do you want to spend the money on? Do you want to spend it on special effects or do you want to spend it on sets or do you want to spend it on the cast? Do you want to spend it on James Brown? Yeah, that's probably where a lot of the money went. Well, about half the budget. But there, there are, there's a sequence in which, uh, we're talking about the poster which has this bald-headed guy on. Yes. For most of the movie, uh, Don Harper is wearing a wig. Yes. And it's quite a shock when that wig is pulled off revealing his bald head. I like the way Kinski does it as well. He just rips it off he very suddenly. He sweeps it off, it's a yeah. nice surprise. It's a great surprise. And then there's, he's got a little hatch in the back of his head. And uh, Klaus Kinski, who he's still at this point think is a human, a sadistic human professor, <laughs> opens the hatch and he pulls out um, Max's memory chip. And we have, a, we have a bit of a Daisy Daisy kind of moment, don't we? Yeah. From, I'm alluding to Hal from 2001 when it gets lobotomized. So it's a bit like that. And it actually... I found that quite heartrending. I thought it was very well acted and I thought it was quite affecting. This is where you find Don Opper has actually been quite good up to that point. It's just you don't notice it until he's suddenly threatened and you think... Oh. Yeah, well, there's always this problem with actors. When they're playing a part, you think that they are that part and he just seemed like this annoying nerd. But then you can see he can do all sorts of other things. So you have this pathos as he's sort of lobotomized and then Klaus Kinski sticks in this other memory chip or or a thinking chip, it's intelligence an Oh, well, but he's taken an inhibitor out, hasn't he? Yeah. The, the, they call it the moral, in, the moral, moral. moral governor. They remove the moral governor, right? Which is actually an expression people use. Anyway, so basically Klaus Kinski turns him into an avenging psychopath and unleashes him on 
uh, Mendez, who we thought think had killed Maggie. Well, what he actually does is tells him that the person that killed Maggie has to be punished. Yeah, he said he says murder must be avenged. Exactly, that's the <laughs> that's the sentence. And then Max, a transformed and scary looking Max, uh, walks down these and it's very well lit and very well shot. He's really quite frightening. So this is a very effective sequence, I thought. What he does is that prior to that, when Don Opper is Max himself yeah he does this c3po thing where he keeps his hands up to his that's true chest. yeah and when he's got the inhibitor out he just walks like a human he walks yeah. very smoothly with arms swinging and it just makes all his body language just makes all the difference i think he does a lot more than you're giving him credit it's for quite a film. subtle nuanced performance yeah but as i say for most of the film i thought he was just this guy then you see him start to do other things and you realize how good a, an actor he is uh, so that that was a very impressive sequence i want to scroll back a little bit and talk about one of the silliest bits which is um, Klaus Kinski has this sort of little garden <laughs> which is a bit reminiscent of um, Soil, not Soylent Green um, what is the film with Bruce Dern in it? Silent Running Yes. Yeah. so it's a bit like one of these space station gardens and the thing is there's these mechanical birds in this garden and they, they're reminiscent of that crazy looking mechanical bird that you see in David Lynch's Blue Collar uh, and I think what happens is Klaus Kinski is surprised by something and the bird explodes. I'm not making this up, am I? <laughs> Which, in theory, he might be linked to as an android. So well, makes that more makes sense more later. sense later on. But it just at the time, it just seems really silly. I adore Klaus Kinski's double take when he sees the flowers on the table then looks over at the cut ones. It's nicely, it's nicely edited. Uh, he's superb there. It's because what happens is Max knows that Maggie, whom he's in love with, infatuated with, is going to have dinner with a professor in the garden. And so uh, Max decapitates these orchids and puts them in a vase on the table, mm. knowing full well that it would really piss the professor off. He, he also sabotages the meal by pouring glasses of ball bearings. And uh, yeah, but and what... I love that moment where Klaus Kinski puts the cloche down and then gently lifts it, expecting anything <laughs> to be under it's just food. It just looks so relieved but when relieved. it's only food. Yeah, but in retrospect, it seemed very weird that the wine had been replaced with ball bearings. But again, that seems to be a clue that that, yeah. uh, that Klaus Kinski is an android, which is very interesting. Yeah. It, there's some nice touches there. Yeah, and I think the woman who plays Cassandra is really good. I think the whole cast is pretty darn good. She's very striking, and I like that he's made... I can't work out if he's made an android with the intention of having sex with the android or whether he's made a better android anyway because he seems very obsessed with touching her yeah um, but he's an android Which, himself so what it becomes it becomes strangely less creepy when you realize that he's also an android yeah <laughs> also inexplicably she has knowledge of things that she shouldn't have knowledge of she's really smart she comes out out of the gate knowing all kinds of stuff and also she's she's anti daniels from the off isn't she oh yeah i love it that scene where he keeps trying to touch her and she keeps slapping his hand away yeah um again you think well what why would that happen yeah so, i mean it, it's all very effective and fun and surprising unexpected unpredictable but it doesn't ultimately make a whole lot of sense does it and i, I dread to think what happens after they leave because they escape from the space station, which is very gratifying. Because the uh, there's a sort of team that's come to relieve the space station yeah. to, to uh, and to evacuate it, and they know about the the they know that the convicts have, have arrived and uh, hijacked the space station. So when they find the convicts are all dead, uh, and there's just yeah, that's weird, isn't it? When there's just and they, they, there's just they could sort of account for all the dead people and dead androids, and they think 
that it's the uh, the professor's assistant. That, I don't know how far you could, you could take that because they knew the assistant was an android, didn't they? Not necessarily. We don't know that Max wasn't just built there by Dr. Daniel in the first place. Yeah. So, so anyway, the great thing is that Max and Cassandra get to walk off into the sunset together. Yeah. Also, another thing I liked about this film, which is something I always liked when I was on Doctor Who, Ben Aronovich, who was one of my writers on Who, and I used to talk about this. There's a, there was a Doctor Who writer called Robert Holmes, and one of Robert Holmes' distinctive features, which particularly cropped up in the talons of Wang Chiang, for instance, you get these throwaway lines, which, which give a whole... You see this whole huge vista of a future history behind these, these lines. Like They're talking about the... Uh, what was it? It's the uh, the Filipino army in the final assault on Reykjavik, right? Yes. And it's it paints the picture of this wild warlike future in which everything is so different. Well, it's a bit like that in this because there's references to how androids are unreliable and the Munich uprising, yes, the Munich rebellion of the androids, and that that's really effective. It's like this tip of the iceberg stuff that gives a sense of a dark. A uh, huge dark world out there that we don't know the full facts about, and it gives a sense of reality to what's going on, and it gives a, a, a sense of fear. I think it may be inspired as well by Blade Runner. I several times I felt that there was a definite kind of Blade Runner vibe going on. What year was Blade Runner? That was eighty two. I don't know, but but the the the, the bit in Blade Runner where they talk about them uh, killing a, a whole, wiping out an off-world colony and hijacking the ship or whatever the line is. Mm. The, some of the dialogue in this, it didn't replicate that, but it, it evoked that to me. Hmm. But you liked it. And I, I liked it. I can't wait to see the next movie because I'm sure that they're all going to be very different. What are we doing next? Well, we should maybe watch that Billy Zane one. I woke up early the morning I died. Is that what it's called? I love the idea of someone saying, maybe we should watch that Billy Zane film. Yeah. It's never been said before. Yes, I adore that. Um, so Billy yeah. Zane was very good in The Phantom. I thought it was excellent in The Phantom. A strange performance, isn't and, it? And, and also, uh, just full disclosure, I really found the woman who married him very fanciful. Kelly Brock? Brooke. Brooke. Yeah. Yeah, and she's in this movie too, isn't she? Yeah. No. No? No, she's not in this one. Oh, well, maybe we'll have to watch another film. She's one of the few people that isn't in it. Yeah. You've got Tippi Hedren, um, Eartha Kitt. Christina Ritchie. It's a great, great title. And I do like Christina Ritchie, so yes. I suppose we'll watch it after all. Based on an Edward script. You told me that, but that still hasn't put me off. <laughs> and it's com- it's completely dialogue, dialogue free. Wow. Yeah. Well, you probably thought it was all over, and I'm afraid it's just one little bit of business to get out of the way. Andrew and I keep forgetting to record our entitle. So we would just like to thank both Joe Kramer for our title music and Mark Frost for our logo. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We appreciate it more than you'll know.